G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you doing today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to be with you again. Good to be with you as always, and good to be with you for today's topic, which we've called Extending Our Exercise. So, Dad, do you want to just give us a bit of a brief rundown? What are we going to be talking about today? Okay, now this is actually a topic that we talked about on our second episode, but that was in the context of lockdown. So, as a number of people would know, like our podcast started off with applying positive psychology strategies to lockdown, and clearly physical exercise could be an important thing then. But... What we're trying to get across now is actually physical exercise generally is something which is so important to your mental health. And whereas people generally recognise that physical exercise is so good for your physical health, I think what people underestimate is physical exercise is probably the single best, number one, mental health intervention. So we're going to revisit that theme, but in a more general context. And it's interesting revisiting this theme after having the year of COVID last year where we were stuck inside a little bit more and obviously less able to exercise than we would have been in previous years. And I don't know about you, Dad, and anyone else out there, but for me, it made it a little bit more tangible what the benefits of exercise were in terms of those days when you were really deliberate about for example, getting up in the morning and, and getting stuck into the day before work. You really notice the difference in mood just being locked inside for that amount of time if you had gone to the effort to do something like that. Yes, and like you were one of the millions of people in Melbourne who for quite a period of time, I think it was getting towards, well, it was over three months, were only able to go out for one hour a day for exercise. And I know from the conversations that we had at the time how important that was to you to be able to get out, for example, and have a walk because you were so restricted. We were more fortunate in Geelong, which is an hour from Melbourne in a regional area, we were actually able to still play golf, go kayaking, go exercising for hours at a time. And for me, it was a little bit different. I was recognising that when we were able in Geelong to do as much exercise as we liked, how that was the saving grace I found personally to be able to play a game of golf, to be able to get out kayaking for a couple of hours. It just made you realise how much it lifted your mood and how much of a feeling of freedom you could get from being able to do exercise outdoors rather than just having to adapt to doing it inside. Yeah, absolutely, Dad. And yeah, as you say, I did have to live vicariously through you on the golf course (laughs) for a few months there. But uh, but it is one of the things that is, I suppose, good about being open again now is having gone through that experience, we have a bit more perspective over what some of the things are that we want to make a bit more of an effort with. And certainly to me, exercise is one of those. And that's for all the reasons that you've stated there in terms of it being a great uh, mental health intervention. But for me, it's also a bit of an indicator how I'm going to at the same time. Because for example, if I'm not feeling as good, if I'm not quite firing on all cylinders, exercise is usually one of the first things to go. In terms of my motivation, it's a little bit harder to get up in the morning. Maybe you're a little bit less inclined to just get up and go for it without necessarily thinking about it as much. So I think there's a couple of aspects to exercise and mental health, which is important, both as a intervention, but also as a way to basically test how we're going, check how we're going. I think that's a good way of putting it and noticing that relationship between exercise and our motivation. And there's something paradoxical about the relationship between exercise and motivation. Like you're saying, if you're feeling less motivated, partly as a result of a lower mood, it's harder to get out 
and do something physical. But that's tricky because that's probably the most important time, if people can, to get out and do something physical, even if it's just going for a walk. And we'll be talking a bit more about the specific benefits of exercise and why that's the case. But even if we look at our energy levels, generally if we think of doing one activity compared to another activity where we're exerting ourselves, we might think, oh, okay, that's going to deplete our energy. So we might as well be careful about whether we put our energy into this task or that activity because it'll make a difference. If you like, we're using up our batteries. But exercise is a little bit the opposite. It's the one thing that you can do, engage in physical exercise, gives you more energy. So you've got more energy to divide up between different tasks. If you've got up in the morning and gone for a walk or a jog or something like that, then the chances are you're going to be more effective and more motivated and more engaged in the things that you do later on. So it's got this paradoxical kind of effect. And so we're highlighting the theme of looking to build physical exercise regularly into your week because along with the other benefits we talk about shortly, it's actually going to give you more energy. Yeah, well, that is an interesting thing about physical exercise. It's almost paradoxical because at the time you don't necessarily feel as if you have more energy. But it's interesting, that idea of how it gives you more energy, it seems to me that it's almost on a couple of levels because there's obviously the physiological aspect that comes with doing exercise, you're getting your blood pumping, you're boosting your fitness, all this sort of stuff. But there can be also some energy that comes from almost the mental side of things or the intellectual side of things in terms of thinking, at least I did that. Or it's something that I've been able to do and progress in for the day and, you know, might already be before work. And so you might be feeling physically depleted, but it almost gives you an extra kind of energy as well. Yes, and I suppose you related it earlier on to your feelings of motivation, but also your feelings of competence and confidence. We know that when people engage in regular physical exercise, it helps your feelings of competence. It also improves your mood. And we'll talk about how it impacts on your brain transmitters a little bit later on because it has quite direct effects in helping lift your mood. It helps improve your sleep. Exercise improves your concentration and your memory. And part of that is because of neurogenesis. It helps create new brain cells we'll talk about a little bit more later on as well. And then, of course, there are the benefits to your immune function And then there are the other physical benefits. It actually helps you live longer. It reduces the incidence of diabetes and dementia in elderly people by about half. There's so many of these physical health benefits, but the mental health benefits include mood, cognitive functioning, motivation, physical fitness, and energy follows on from that. So many benefits. It reduces your stress levels. Well, it reduces the stress hormones like cortisol circulating in your bloodstream and if we have cortisol built up in our bloodstream over quite a period of time because of extended stress without engaging in something like exercise to change that then that will interfere with our memory and our cognitive functioning. Well yeah as you mentioned that I am interested to talk to you about some of that stuff but it seems to me that one of the things about physical exercise too is that the benefits don't necessarily just come from a once-off. So we can do this on on one day and obviously there's going to be some benefit that comes from that. But at the same time, it seems to me the more we're able to fit exercise into our routine, 
the more we're able to make it a habit, the more that we're able to get those lasting benefits from exercise. So that's another thing that I'm interested in talking to you about today in terms of how do we follow through and and not just for example, do it once or, or have a, a week where we do it a lot that way. And that's where we have the title, isn't it? Extending your exercise. And I suppose that there are two meanings of extending it. One is keeping it going. So it's not like just engaging in exercise for a couple of months or some new activity or going to the gym for three months and then letting it drop off. It's the idea of keeping it going. And that's part of where we're bringing back a theme that we discussed a year ago but then looking at how are we going at keeping our physical exercise going. There might have been new routines we established then. Have we kept them going or adapted them so we've still got the benefits continuing on? That's one sense. But the other thing is that with the benefits of exercise for our mental health and our general emotional functioning, there's a dose-response relationship, meaning the more you engage in exercise, the better the effects tend to be. And this even includes for depression, for clinical depression. And one of the striking things is when people engage in regular physical exercise, for example, about three hours of exercise a week, and they keep it going for two months, that has an antidepressant effect. Now, if some of that exercise has an aerobic quality, like vigorous exercise and people are keeping that going for the same length of time, about six to eight weeks, three hours of exercise, including some aerobic exercise, that is about as effective as antidepressant medication for mild to moderate depression. But for actual clinical depression, physical exercise has an antidepressant effect, but only if you do enough of it, so to speak. And you do a little bit more of it, it tends to have even a more reliable antidepressant effect so that's one of the ways that we're talking about extending your exercise certainly it helps to be going to around about that three hours a week mark that means about half an hour a day or several times a week of vigorous activity of about say 45 minutes plus and so is that the point that you almost need to do that much exercise to benefit from it is it going to be the sort of thing where for example even if you do do it one day a week you're still going to get some benefit from it Yes, it's true. So that's the idea of a dose-response relationship. Actually, you get a lot of benefits going from virtually no exercise to then doing some exercise. Even a couple of half hours a week walking or something like that will make a real difference. And it will make a difference to things like our mood, our concentration. If we do no exercise at all, that will tend to be quite depleting, have a negative impact for us. So we see these benefits kicking in. And they kick in more as we increase it. And I described how with depression, it's an extra benefit if you can engage in some vigorous activity. But the general idea is the more we do, the better, because each time we engage in exercise, it improves our brain chemistry. The first thing it does is it boosts our serotonin. That's like a calming neurotransmitter. And that's where antidepressant medication most typically leads to an increase in the availability of serotonin in our brain. And that's what tends to help the lift in mood, the calming effect. But also exercise at the time leads to an increase in dopamine. Now dopamine we often think of in terms of pleasure, like it's a neurotransmitter that's released with addictions, for example. But dopamine is particularly relevant to motivation. 
It helps us keep doing things, if you like. And so that's one of the wonderful things about exercise. As you engage in it and build it into your routine, it increases your dopamine levels that makes it easier to be motivated to keep on doing it. So there's that aspect. But another thing is it also can lead to an increase in endorphins. So people who have physical pain, some people will fall into a trap of inactivity through physical pain. But if people can find ways of engaging in exercise and even extending that to some degree, that's more likely to lead to this release of endorphins that can ease pain, alleviate pain. Then there's another neurotransmitter, norepinephrine, and that's related partly to our cognitive functioning and stress reactions that way. If we engage in exercise, it helps modulate a level of norepinephrine that means that our cognitive functioning is improved, our stress levels are lesser. So you mentioned some of the the brain chemistry there that comes with doing exercise. Is it the case then that the benefits from exercise come mainly from having more, for lack of a better term, good chemicals in your brain at that time and then obviously that extends from the period after that you've done the exercise too or are there more benefits to it even than just that? Yes, well I think the most amazing thing I've learned about exercise in the last 15 years is it actually helps subtly change the structure of your brain as well, meaning it leads to neurogenesis. It leads to the formation of new brain cells. Now, every day that people engage in physical exercise, the exercise helps create about 1,500, 1,700 new stem cells in the hippocampus, a part of the brain that relates to memory and new learning in some ways. Now, it's only the last 15 years that we've known, 15 or 20 years we've known, that exercise can lead to this creation of stem cells. We used to think that once you reach adult age, like 25 years or so, you don't get any new brain cells. So the good news for you is you'd be about, your time would have been up about now, but you actually keep on getting new brain cells your entire life, but what stimulates it is physical exercise. But then when you engage in new learning, establishing a new habit, Dealing with a moderately stressful situation where you have to adapt and find a new way of dealing with it. Any kind of new learning or novelty that also not only leads to the formation of new brain cells, but it also channels those brain cells, those stem cells, to form neural networks that are like the wiring that underlies your habits. So when you're creating new habits or a new way of doing something or establishing a new routine, it's like a vine that's growing. You're forming new synapses, which are brain connections, connections between brain cells. So you're forming new brain cells with neurogenesis. You're forming new connections between them with synapses. And then you develop new neural networks like a new vine, if you like, that goes a new wiring that goes in a certain direction. And when you keep that new wiring reinforced by keeping engaging in an activity, you're developing these new neural networks that make it a lot easier to keep an activity going. So engaging in physical exercise, you get new stem cells. You engage in new learning or novelty, you can form a new synapse, a connection between brain cells in 90 minutes. In one month, you can develop new brain cells in the neural network, and in four months, those brain cells will mature. So again, it's this wiring that develops physical exercise is key, then novelty and new learning, which includes adaptations that we make to mild to moderate levels of stress. 
So how is it then that we can increase the amount of exercise that we do? Because for example, if it's not quite hardwired into our brain at that stage, how is it that we're able to motivate ourselves to do more? Okay, and this is part of the theme that we had that second episode, isn't it, when we were talking about exercise in lockdown, how it can be really difficult to find ways in certain circumstances to increase our exercise. But the idea of extending our exercise, increasing it, most of us could do with a little bit more. Whatever we're doing currently, a little bit more might be even better. So how can we extend it? I think, first of all, is just make it doable. Like I think in terms of nudge factors, how can we nudge it along? Part of it, if we're not doing much exercise at all, is make a start somewhere. If someone's doing gardening, think of the gardening in terms of exercise. At least you're moving your arms to some extent. If you're walking, can you walk a little faster or a little longer? Is it that someone might have played tennis a number of years ago and then hasn't played it for quite some time but might get back to that? It's thinking of what's doable. Now, what will be doable will tend to be something that we've actually enjoyed in the past. Something that, if you like, we've got the equipment for. Now, we've all got shoes and clothes to get outside and have a walk, if you like. So that's one of the most accessible activities. Starting with walking is a terrific thing to do. But I think one of the main things is starting off, make it doable, start somewhere, make it enjoyable preferably, and then we look to build it into our routines. By doing it again and again and again, it becomes more second nature we're developing new routines, and when we do that, we partly are developing also these neural networks, the wiring, that supports us keeping on going to those routines. I read something during the week that I think roughly 40% of our behaviours are motivated by habit, by something that's a little bit more ingrained. And so it seems to me as well that with something like bringing exercise into our routine, well, if something's ingrained, there's probably going to be multiple times through the decision-making process, for example, to do exercise, that almost the habit's going to kick back in and it's going to try and lead us in a certain direction. I just think, for example, early in the morning, it can be harder to do things to completely find the motivation then. But if you, for example, set out clothes the night beforehand and instead of thinking, you know, I've, I've got to get up and motivate myself and what am I going to wear and all this sort of stuff, well, then it's just a matter of putting on the clothes that you've already set for yourself and you're already halfway out the door before you've even got a chance to think about it too much. So it, I wonder if, there, if there's ways of almost nudging ourselves beyond the ingrained habit. Yes, I think that's a great example that you're mentioning there, like you make it easier for yourself to do something. And that might be saying, I'm going to get outside for just a couple of minutes, if you like, for a walk, if I feel okay, I'll keep on going, if people are starting from a very low level. But just another way of thinking of moving it along, which is like a big nudge factor, if you like, is talking with a friend about it. Like many people might know a friend who, who's also talked about potentially doing a little bit more exercise or they might know a near neighbour or a friend who lives nearby where it might be accessible to catch up with them and either you know go for a walk two or three days a week, something like that, or starting off once a fortnight or just starting off once. That could be a nudge factor. If people enjoy it, they're more likely to keep it going. And so having a social element to exercise is often a terrific way of doing it. And I must say, when I think of many friends, family, others who've kept changes of exercise going for years, often people have started off with a bit of a social element to it. 
Like they've gone along to a gym where they know someone else goes there or they join up a gym with someone else or certainly they've arranged a, a walking routine with someone else, started with that, or it could be friends regularly playing golf. That would be, like say, one of the ways for me that it would have kept going very regularly over the years or, or in my case in the last year, knowing a couple of friends who are interested in paddle boarding, so we only started doing that in the last year but now we tend to keep it going at least fortnightly. And that's, of course, one of the benefits of team sport too is that you're almost just in that environment naturally and you're always going to have people around to be able to do that sort of thing with. So I think after last year when uh, across the board really team sports were shut down and there was very little, I suppose, group exercise that we were able to do in the normal context, it certainly showed the benefit of having something like that. Yes, certainly. There's so many things that come into team sport and one of the things is the social connections that people make. But yeah, what we're talking about here is team sports are going to build in physical exercise regularly where there's often not just the competition once a week but many team sports involve practice, practice sessions that would get people up to that recommended level of either 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week which is like walking or vacuuming or something like that and then Otherwise, 75 minutes of vigorous exercise, which includes things like jogging or singles tennis as opposed to doubles tennis. If people get to that level, 150 minutes of moderate exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise, that's a pretty decent level for the week. Even better to extend it a bit further if people can, and most team sports will extend even beyond that. Well, and the other thing about team sport, of course, is often with, for example, a game at the weekend and a couple of trainings during the week, again, it helps with that idea of routine. It'd often be three times a week where your exercise is sort of covered for you. But what about if people maybe aren't able to compete in team sport as much or maybe they're, for example, past the age of playing competitive sport that way? What are some other things that people can do maybe more individually to help their level of exercise? Yes, certainly it won't be for everyone, team sport, and people might also not have the opportunity to do exercise with someone else where you get that social factor. Then I think to nudge the odds in your favour of some new kind of activity or extending activity, one thing that makes a real difference to any habit forming is monitoring. If there's any single behavioural principle for establishing a new habit, I think one of the things is recording what you're doing. This can include even if people are cutting back on addictions. Like if people are cutting back on smoking, for example, can simply record the number of cigarettes they have at that particular day. And when people are motivated to change that, then that will help people reduce. But it doesn't only help for reducing behaviours, it also helps for increasing behaviours. And so with exercise, I would suggest, well, one of the great things is if people have something like a, a sports watch or if people have like a heart rate monitor or something like that, that can be really useful. There are ways of recording automatically that make it easier for people to look back over the week and see the number of steps that they've done or the number of exercise routines they've done that week. That's probably the single most helpful thing. Like in the past, it would have been a pedometer, for example, counting the number of steps a day or for an exercise that we've done. Well, these days, if people can get some kind of device like that, I think that's about the most useful way of monitoring and keeping a check on that. But the other thing that people can do is simply have a calendar, a note on it if they've exercised that day and maybe for how long. It could be walk 30 minutes, another day walk 45 minutes. And you can actually see at the end of the week 
if you've got to that, say, 150 minutes of moderate activity. Monitoring helps keep something going, especially when we've started off with a reason to do it in the first place. We've got what we call internal motivation. We realise there are health benefits, there are mental health benefits. I want to do more of this. If you know your own reasons why you want to do something and you monitor it, that's actually quite a strong combination to make it likely, certainly much more likely, you'll keep a good habit going. And it seems to me that part of the reason that that's so important is because of this cumulative effect that we've been talking about in terms of, obviously, if we have a lapse, if we have a day where we're not doing as much exercise, it's if we follow that up with another three or four days of doing nothing that we can really sort of fall into a bit of a trap. And I heard a really interesting equation during the week. And look, it's a bit of an oversimplification, I think, if we look at this, but I think it speaks to the notion of the difference it makes to do something every day and the cumulative effect of that. But if we think we want to be, over the course of a year, 1% better each day as opposed to 1% worse, and the way to work that out would be 1.01, so in terms of adding 1%, and you times 1.01 times 1.01 365 times for every day of the year, and that equals 3778 If you do the same thing with 0.99, which is just 1%, the other side of 1, so to represent, for example, 1% worse, that comes out at 0.03, which is 124,600% difference if you were to do 1% better every day over the course of the year as opposed to 1% worse. So obviously I say it's a bit of an oversimplification there, but at the same time I think it speaks to the notion of that idea of if we can just get into a place where we're not necessarily missing twice. It's one thing to miss on one day, but if we can just not make it that we miss two days in a row, well then the benefit from that just really adds up over time it seems. Yes, that that arithmetic really shows that notion of little things build up, don't they? Little things in one direction or another. And what I notice as a psychologist with clients seeking help for any problem, particularly any kind of complex problem, always look to go for something simple and doable and start and build on that. There are a couple of ways we can build on it. One is notice your efforts. So if people have done something in the last year to increase exercise in some ways, well, good on you because many people found that very difficult to do in the era of COVID. Anything new that someone did that they kept going somewhat, first of all, give yourself credit for that. Acknowledge that. One of the things for keeping things going is to give yourself credit for it. Just because you've done something for a long time, we don't have to take it for granted. It makes a difference. There's that cumulative benefit, as you say. But the flip side is, if we slip up, if we haven't done something, again, it helps to pick up a lapse earlier rather than later, but lapses are normal. Any of us who's tried to establish a new habit in whatever way, we will have almost certainly had lapses. Most people who succeed at dealing with addictions have had several attempts early on, like, say, gambling addictions or whatever. Most people looking to deal with panic attacks or depression are going to have some slips or lapses along the way or down the track for a time. Lapses are normal. But we can stop if we have a lapse, if we have some kind of slip up or we're drifting off from something. 
like we talked about in our goal-setting episode in an earlier episode this year also on what are our hopes. If we know what our hopes are, in a sense, what we want to achieve or why we want to achieve that, what it means to us, if we think in terms of our goals, then one thing is not to beat ourselves up. If we haven't stuck to that goal in a particular way, lapse is a normal part of life. But now, why is it that we wanted to do it in the first place? What might have led to that lapse is the way around it, but the thing is looking to come back from a lapse so it doesn't become a relapse. We don't go right back to the start of what we call that pre-contemplation stage. We still contemplate it's good to do the thing that we've decided to do. How can we get back onto it, even if we get back at half strength at first? Even if we've slipped up on a walking routine and we get back to it once for the first time in two weeks? Well, good on us. Great. Done something. Now can build on that. So I think part of this is also about self-compassion, which we've talked about in another episode. Don't beat up on ourselves or give ourselves a really hard time if we had a slip. But how we come back from lapses, if we develop our capacity to not take our positives for granted and then find ways of coming back from lapses, encouraging ourselves, not beating up on ourselves, that's a fantastic way of tending to consolidate our positive habits well into the future. And it's something that we spoke a little bit about on the first podcast that we did on exercise in terms of how the character strengths can come in too. So uh, obviously there's a, a lot there with the character strengths and how they can apply in. And we did go through that a little bit more in the last episode. So for those of you who are interested in how the character strengths can be practically applied to do with exercise, feel free to go and check out that episode two, Exercising in Exile, it was called. Yes, right. And I think it's worthwhile that we highlight some of the themes that we think are some of the most tried and true themes in psychology. Where do people get most bang for their buck? Where do people get the return for effort, given that changing habits or dealing with depression, anxiety, mental health problems is not easy in itself? Taking actions to maintain our well-being takes effort. So it's worthwhile thinking of those most reliable, tried and true strategies. And so You've highlighted there the character strengths as well. We're talking about exercise. We will also be reviewing some of the other psychological strategies that are really worthwhile that we talked about in the earlier part of our lockdown series, but talking about it more as it applies to everyday life. And also looking forward to doing some interviews too and getting some more people onto the podcast who might have some expertise in other areas that way too. So... Thanks so much for talking with me about all this today, Dad. It's been good to go over some of this stuff and have it reiterated and and talk about it in a fresh context. It isn't so much just about being locked up at home, which is so nice to be able to move on from. Yes, Ronan, I'm very glad that some of my exercise includes an occasional game of golf with yourself. So I look forward to that one continuing on. And in the meantime, happy exercising. Yeah, same to you. And I, I think I got you the last time, didn't I, Dad? I reckon that. Uh, oh, you did, you bragger. You <laughs> bragger.